Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, 19, and 20. Here's a section of scripture that clearly deals with God being our strength, our shield, our protector. Let me read a summary of, of some of this, then we'll uh, dig into that theme a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 through 9. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine, that's Goliath, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry uh, for this saying, displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but, his, but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now jump down to chapter 19, verse 1. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. And then chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. Well, you get the theme, don't you? Um, David's life is, or his head's on the chopping block, whatever you want to say. He's, uh, the king of Israel says, David must surely die. I'm suspicious of that man. I hate that man. I want to kill that man. We must kill that man. And you get a wonderful story with that much against him. God is for him. God blesses and saves him. I just want us to think this morning how wonderful it is that we have a God who is our shield, our defender, our protector, even when it seems like everything is against us. A couple dramatic stories in my life I can share just real quickly. One, I did a lot of caving when I was in um, college. One of the things college taught me was to quit doing that kind of stuff. But before, before I got an education, you know, I did some dangerous stuff. And one time I went in this cave and I was... Uh, we took a bunch of repelling gear and stuff with us because we knew, we had heard there's waterfalls, there's big cliffs, there's all kind of great dangerous stuff we could get into. And so, But you didn't want to give up your gear too quickly. We hadn't been caving but maybe 30 minutes crawling through the dark and the rocks. And we came to, to a cliff, you know, almost like this, but it's, it's a good 20 feet up. And we looked down and we said, okay, that's too far to jump. We had enough sense to say, you don't want to jump rocky substance on the ground. You may roll an ankle, break a leg, break an ankle. Then how are you going to get out kind of thing. So it was just a little too far to, to jump. So we said, okay, do we want to use our ropes here because it's just 20 feet. We're, we're saving our ropes for, you know, 100, 200, 300 kind of feet 
uh, cliff, and this was just 20 feet. So we debated, and we were just all looking around with our lights, and as, as we had the headlights on, you know, we looked over, and there was an army strap. Somebody had been in the cave before. They tied this strap, and it went down. I said, cool, God's answered. Here we have this strap. We'll use the strap, and we'll go down. Then we'll still have our ropes for later on. So who wants to go first? I'll go first. You know, I jumped on that thing, and I, I you know, pulled back. Yep, look, feels pretty strong. And if you know anything about rappelling, you don't want to just climb straight down. You want to lean back because as you lean back, it puts your feet into the rock. And you can just kind of walk down it. So, you know, you get back. And I started leaning back just as the rope caught the edge of the rock that it was going over. Pow! You know, and I'm falling backwards these 20 feet just like that. And I land. Bam! And everybody up above me you okay you okay you okay and I said oh yeah I'm good you know and I, I got up and it's just hush like whoa I'm like what 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 and I'm looking around like you know somebody coming you know what's happening and they said turn around and look at your imprint on this dusty cave floor and I turned around and then I was in awe because you could see the imprint of my head you know my, my back and all on the ground and, you know, just inches from my head was this jagged rock. And just inches from my tailbone was this jagged rock. And I had been perfectly centered between them. And we just all caught a moment of, God just protect. There's just no way that can happen. You can't fall that perfectly. And you were falling in the dark. You didn't know that was going to happen. But that's just God's wonderful protection. Later on, same trip, I think, um, we get to this, this spot where a waterfall is coming out of the rock. And it's, it's coming out about 40 feet up or so. And here's a place you could climb. I said, you know, it'd be so cool to go through that waterfall into that opening and see what's on the other side. So I start climbing up. You know, water's coming down. I'm climbing. You've heard of rock slides? I've heard of rock slides, never seen one till this. You know, you're climbing, you think rock's going to, is solid and secure. I'm climbing up, gear on my back, get up and the water's starting to hit me in the face. You know, I'm almost there. And then the whole wall starts to slide. So it didn't matter which way I grabbed. It's like a four foot by eight foot sheet of rock. Just, it all just starts sliding down the hill. And that's the piece I'm on. And so I fall back again into now a, a big pool of water, go underwater, come back up, and my crowd again saying, oh, blood, 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 you know, blood, whose? You know, it was mine. But again, I got stabbed right in the back with a, a rock, but right in the muscle, which is cool spot to get, if you're going to get stabbed, that's where you want to get stabbed. Again, just an inch away from vertebra, where it, it could have been paralyzed, broken back, you know, there for days to get a crew in and get me out. And you just, you, you look at a situation like that, we just, we just all sat down and worshipped. We had a time that we just need to, we need to sing a song. We need to, we need to pray because God is clearly just protecting us today for some reason. And we thought about it with, with Joshua falling into the pool this week. You know, God's divine protection is all over that. I mean, that's, you, you hear something like that and you say, this is a God thing. God is just 
divinely protecting his people. Well, that's the story we're reading in 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20. God is just protecting David over and over and over and over. It's like, how many times do you have to hear stories like this? I'm sure you've all got one if you stop and think about it. God's divine protection. These things don't just happen. This is our God at work to protect and bless his people. We, I read you the end of the story last week, 2 Samuel 4, that David, when he finally gets to his kingdom, he says, God has delivered me from all my distress. David understood this was a stressful time, a stressful moment. Um, and it was tough. It's tough living this life. There's a lot of stress. But we live it with a God who loves to protect us. I want us to see God here is protecting us from people. He's protecting us from powers. He's protecting us from problems. First of all, consider the people. God's got to get between them and David for his protection. Um, you remember last week we looked at chapter 17, among other chapters. Chapter 17 is the David kills Goliath passage, okay? So if you're jumping in with me this morning, you know that story. David's just killed Goliath. Chapter 17, we come now to chapter 18, and it's basically, we pick up the story with the soldiers walking home. So they've defeated the Philistines, they've defeated their giant leader, Goliath. David's got to walk home, Saul's got to walk home, Jonathan's got to walk home. And so we, chapter 18, you pick up the story of Saul and da Jonathan walking into Jerusalem, into their city, and there's dancing in the streets because the, the messengers, the runners, they've already gotten back. And they said, you know, we, we won, we won, we defeated the Philistines. And there's tambourines and there's uh, singing and drinking and party and everybody is celebrating this wonderful victory. And it's taking the soldiers en enough time because they had to pursue the Philistines and, you know, continue to, to slaughter them. It's taking them enough time to get back. They've even written a song about, you know, the entire um, victory and all that's going on. And this song is on the top of the charts, verse 7, chapter 18. The women sang as they played. So they're, they're playing their musical instruments. They got their, their guitars, which they called harps more back then. They were, instead of 12-string uh, or 6-string, a lot of them were 13-strings. They had one that was a 3-string like a ukulele kind of thing. They've got these instruments they're playing. They've got the tambourines they're playing, and they're singing a song as they play, verse 7. And the, and the words, they, we don't get the whole text, but part of the text is, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Well, Saul didn't like that song. You know, uh, that, uh, that bothered Saul a lot, because basically the substance of the song is, that Saul is, is strong, Saul is tough, but David is ten times more strong and tough, ferocious. And what a leader he is. You know, I, I've been trying to think of, you know, how this song might have gone. You know, I, I don't know if it was, it was, it had to be some sort of rap kind of party, celebrative uh, kind of thing, but, uh, you know, something like, uh, Saul is slain as thousands, that's a fact. 
But David's killed ten times more than that. He's a killing machine. Yeah, uh, uh. He's a killing machine. Yeah, uh, huh. You know, whatever it was, Saul hears this and says, uh, uh-uh. I don't like that. That makes David so much more than me. And so Saul is suspicious. He wants to turn on him. Chapter 18, verse 11, Saul hurled the spear For he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now, you've heard that story, right? Think about it. Does this twice. Remember, Saul likes music. And so Saul, to deal with his stress, he, he hires musicians. And he's hired David to be one of his musicians. Come in, play me some music. And... They just came out of this battle. The number one song on the chart is about David. David's in there, you know, playing some tunes. Saul's chilling out. And you can just see David over there, killing machine. He's a killing machine. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and Saul finally says, enough. And he throws the spear. I'm tired of that tune. Enough of that. And it's the second time. That's what David's up against. The king himself is furious at the great victor who is David, God's man after his own heart. Chapter 19. So uh, after he's tried to kill him several times with with a spear, look at chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. When, When there was war again, David went out fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter so that they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand and David was playing the harp and with his hand and Saul tried to pin him to the wall with the spear but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he stuck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Then, verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death. You know, why was David out with the Philistines and Saul's back home? Saul says, I'm going to kill him with my spear. It's not successful. Twice he misses. I'll kill him with the Philistines. I'll send him in the battle. I'll stay back. That doesn't work. The Philistines always flee before David. Then Saul says, I'm going to send some, some messengers. You go guard him. Find out, you know, you know where he's sleeping. Let's capture him. We're going to kill him. We're, we're, we're done with salt. Um, so, you know, that's him trying to take him out. Chapter 19, uh, let me just keep reading. Verse 11 we just read, or part of it. Then Saul sent messengers to the, David's house to watch him in order to put him to death. In the morning, but Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, Tomorrow you'll be put to death. So McCall let David down through a window, and he went out, and he fled, and he escaped. And McCall took the household idol and laid it on the bed, put, it, put a quilt of goat's hair at the head, and covered it with clothes. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, bring him up to me on his bed, that I may put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with the quilt of goat's hair at the head. So Saul said to McCall, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he escaped? Uh, and, 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 and he said to me, let, let me go. Why should I put you to death? Well, 
David escapes. That's the ultimate there, uh, the main point. That uh, Saul's tried to kill him with spears, tried to kill him with Philistines, tried to send messengers to kill him. He's deceived, he's tricked. David escapes time and time again. And it's not just David's intuit. Um, it's not just David because he's smart. Um, we need to see God's protection uh, over and over. Right after that, chapter uh, 19, verse 18. Now da David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. So he goes to the priest. You know, I'm in trouble. The, the king is really serious about killing me. And so Samuel said, well, you know, you stay here. And, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. And, he, and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. It was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. So then Saul sent messengers to take David. You might read that, to take him out. But when they, they saw the co company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So you got these messengers, they're not prophets. They come up to where David is, and it kind of becomes known, we're, we're here to take him out. And then all of a sudden, a spiritual thing happens. They start prophesying. So their hearts just completely transform. Instead of wanting to kill David, they want to just give him words of wisdom from God. Like, what's happening? So verse 21, when it was told Saul what, what happened, he sent other messengers. So, okay, the first guys, they just, they're wimps. They can't do it. Let's send some more. So some more go. Same thing. Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. So three groups of messengers to kill David, all three. This is not a coincidence. This is God's spirit and divine protection again and again. Verse 22, Saul thinking, if you want to do anything, you've got to do it yourself. But he's already tried that. That didn't work. But he tries it again. Verse 22, then he himself went to Ramah. And he came as far as the large well that is in Seku, and he asked and he said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, well, They're right over there, Naoth and Ramah. He proceeded there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. So that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth in Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and laid down naked all that day and all that night, Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Bottom line, Saul still can't kill David, even if he tries to do it again himself, very openly, bluntly, I'm here to take him out. The Spirit of God comes upon him, and he just can't do it. It, it reminded me of my Saturday mornings watching Tom and Jerry or the road run. Anybody do that yesterday? They're still on, guys. And this is the inspiration right here. It's, it's the story of David, and this is a great story to tell your kids when you're watching Tom and Jerry and uh, Roadrunner on Saturday mornings. Or I think it's my cable channel. It's one of my favorites, 325, I think. I got it down, you know. It's, it's the Tunes Network. And um, you can watch this show. If you ever see the Tomcat, he goes after little Jerry the mouse over and over and over and he can't ever kill him and the same thing is with the uh, coyote over and over and over he's trying to kill the roadrunner and he can't do it and you if you watch those 
tunes enough, you're thinking, why don't they ever succeed? And that's a great time to say, that's divine protection. That's God. You couldn't get this many attempts on your life and still be alive unless God wanted you alive. And that's happening with David because we're going to get to King David. He not only becomes king, he rules for 40 years. Just like Saul with all of these enemies. How do you go into battle that many times with enemies at home as well as abroad and you still make it? You make it, well, I'll give it to you in Scripture. Look at um, three times it comes up in chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 12. Don't miss this. You need to circle this one. Chapter 18, verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David. Why? Here's the reason. Because the Lord was with him. Again, verse 14. David was prophesying in all his ways. Why? Because, prospering, excuse me. Because the Lord was was with him again in verse 28 when Saul saw and knew that what the Lord was with him see that's the key why can't I kill him he knew the book of Romans way back here in Samuel because if who can be against us if God is for us if God is for us, be a fool to be against us. Saul was hearing that message over and over and over through the word of God being brought to him. You need to quit trying to kill him. You need to start fearing him. Why? Because God is with him. You need to understand he prospers everywhere he goes. Why? Because God is with him. This is a blessed man of God. And when you're dealing with a blessed man of God, you need to back up. He's God's. You're not going to succeed. Um, can you and I be destroyed? That slander, this person that's in your life, that gossip, that mother-in-law, that father-in-law, that evil brother or sister or abusive husband, that worker, boss, who is it? There are people in our lives that you feel like, ah, they just always seem to be out to get me. And we have this message from God, I got this. I'm with you. That evil person, they may have slain their thousands. Don't worry about it. You're going to be bigger and better than that. The Lord is with us. We need to see that if God is for us, no one can be against us. I remember uh, one of my best friends in college. He, he loved to go out witnessing. So he, he, he frequently carried a, uh, you know, one of those little New Testament Bibles the Gideons used to always give at schools until our society said it wasn't good to give kids Bibles. You know, but he used to carry one of those little New Testament Bibles in his back pocket. And he didn't think about it. He was up in New York one time during college break witnessing. And some guy came, he, he said it looked like a dagger, you know, like, that's a knife. You know, it, it was a big one. He pulled it out, and he stuck it at him. His name was Terry Hammond. He stuck right at, in, in, at Terry and said, give me all your money. Well, it's like he startled, and he just instinctively went for where his billfold usually is. And when he went back, it was the New Testament. He pulled it out, and he just, he didn't even think about it. He said, 
Well, here's a sword sharper than any two-edged sword. It just, you know, came out. And he said the guy turned and ran like a rabbit. And Terry said, you know, what just happened here? That guy could have easily just slapped that out of my hand and killed me. Because he was bigger and stronger and better than me. But, see, the Spirit of God came over that man. And he ran. Just like the Spirit of God came over and they prophesied. It's God's protection of his people. Like I said, I think you've got stories like that too. Be cool to, uh, next week, get to a home ministry group and just share some of these stories of how God has protected you from people that clearly were seeking to do you harm. And you are alive today because of God's marvelous and wonderful grace. Well, God not only protects us from people, He protects us from powers. Now, we don't often think about powers, but you know there's powers, right? There's evil powers. There's spiritual powers. There are powers that are out to get you. I've already read one of the passages. Let me read them again. Um, Look at chapter 18, verse 10. Now, it came about on the next day that an evil spirit, you get that? That circle, an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. So David doesn't only have to deal with Saul, he's got to deal with this spiritual being, this evil spirit that's at work in the sons of men like Saul uh, that's out to get him as well. Look at chapter 19, verse 9. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul. The text is clear to bring this out. We're not just dealing with people. We're not just dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with spiritual powers. It's also wonderful to see that these powers are always under the sovereign umbrella of God. God is never out of control. God is still on the throne and always in charge. So when you get to, let's jump to Ephesians real quick, the New Testament um, commentary on some of this, and just focus just for a little bit on these, these spiritual powers. Ephesians 2, we all have to deal with this. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. So when we're born and we start crying out, and by the way, I know Joe believes this, but where one is gathered, sin is present. (laughs) Where two are gathered, much sin is present. He was dealing with the, the rift between us, but yes. And not only is sin present, evil spirits are present. This, there's this evil prince of the power of the air. There's this evil spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. And we were all under the domain of that evil spirit. We have to be saved out of this. We have to be delivered from this bondage. You know, it just blows my mind when a non-Christian says to me, I don't want to give up my freedom. I laugh. You you don't have freedom. I'm the one who's free. You're still in bondage to Satan and his powers. You have to walk according to the sons of disobedience. I am free to be holy. I am free to obey God. I am free to worship. 
Non-Christian doesn't have that freedom. They're not tuned into this, this spiritual domain that they're under. Look over in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Might put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, we have responsibilities to recognize the spiritual evil world. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, I think David understood that. One of the reasons for his great success is he wasn't just in his mind thinking Saul's evil and he's out to get me. But he, in his mind he's saying not only Saul out to get me, but Saul has an evil spirit. And there are people with Saul, with evil spirits. And these evil spirits are out to get me as well. It constantly, the more you see what's against you, the more you see how great your deliverer is in Christ and the more you depend upon him. And David was clearly a man after God's own heart, seeking the Lord always, seeking his strength and his grace. And God was blessing him. Um, the scripture is clear on the spiritual powers. Uh, let me share you just a couple more verses. Look at Job. Job, historically, may have been the first book of the Bible. This is the book Abraham would have read, Moses would have read, um, David would have known about. Um, and the whole spiritual power uh, aspect of it is right there in the beginning, chapter 1 of Job. Uh, let me read some of it. Verse 9 of chapter 1. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? You remember that dialogue? It's a dialogue between God and Satan. And basically, just to cut to the tw to sh chase, uh, verse 12, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Okay, Satan, you want to go and wreak havoc with Job. You're under my authority. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that domain. You can roam around on the earth. You can... You can do some evil stuff, but I'm not going to let you kill him. I'm not going to let you touch him. And so Satan goes after Job. Job understood he had a battle with evil spirits. His battle was not flesh and blood. It was his spiritual warfare struggle. Now, 1 John chapter 5. Love this verse. It's confidence for me. When I am engaged and struggled on a weekly basis with evil spirits. Look at this wonderful passage. You need to know this one. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, For we know that no one who is born of God sins. That's a different subject I'll deal with later. But he who, had, he who was born of God, catch this, he who was born of God, speaking of Christ, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Wow. I thank God for that. God, I know there are people that often are against me. They say all sorts of evil against me. I don't have to just deal with them. I have to deal with Satan and his forces. And God says, but I got a promise for you. Same promise I gave to Job. I'm going to give it to you. Satan is, is bound. Satan is chained. I'm only going to let him go so far. I am not going to let him touch you. God's protection. 
not only of people here, but of these powers that are here. One other place. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians 3. No, that's not right. Let's go, let's go over a book. Second Thessalonians. Here, here it is. Second Thessalonians 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us. I was telling somebody this morning, I don't say that enough. Pray for me. Pray for me. We need prayer for one another. You know, the, many of you are praying for the hardies we sweep. We need that kind of prayer. Finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil. And it really stops there. Some, my translation says the evil one. Meaning Satan and his host. But it, Paul is bringing up the two aspects. God will not only protect you from people, but he will protect you from this evil power that's at work in the world. Pray for me. I have to deal with evil people, and I have to deal with evil power. And I am delivered, because that's a channel of God's blessing. I am delivered through your prayers. And that's what Paul told the Thessalonians. He said, I'm delivered when people pray. But we are delivered because God wants to protect his people. So he listens to those prayers intently. When you cry out, God, help me. That's a great prayer. And then you call all your, your friends and buddies. Pray, God, help me. Because I'm in something too big for me. People are against me. Powers are against me. We have a God who protects. We see that over and over and over with David. We see it over and over and over with our testimony. It reminded me that the best uh, song I've ever heard on this, I haven't heard something recently dealing with, with this. It was this is an old song now, written back in the, uh, the 80s by Brown Bannister, Gary Chapman, uh, Amy Grant, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some of the great songwriters got together and they worked on this song. Uh, Amy Grant ended up recording it, but it was called Angels, I think. And this is, this is most of the text says, God only knows the times my life was threatened just today. A reckless car ran out of gas before it ran my way. Near misses all around me. Accidents unknown. Though I never see with human eyes the hands that lead me home. I know they are all around me, all day and through the night. When the enemy is closing in, I know they sometimes fight to keep my feet from falling. So I'll never turn away. If you're asking what's protecting me, then you're going to hear me say, God's got his angels watching over me. Every move I make, angels watching over me. Angels watching over me. Every step I take, angels watching over me. What a blessing to have God's protection, his blessing, his angels. Well, David had problems with people he had problems with powers that means he's got problems god protects us from all of lots of problems he had one of the stickiest problems that you could imagine because david had excuse me saul had a a glorious son 
He's, he's, he's not a son that you would say, oh, he's a no count, we don't need him. You saw Saul, and then when you saw his son Jonathan, you thought, this is going to be cool when dad kicks the bucket and Jonathan takes over, because Jonathan was a great leader. And people were already beginning to love and embrace Jonathan. When God says, I'm going to choose David to be the next king. Saul knew Jonathan should be the next king. Other people knew Jonathan should be the next king. Oh, it's going to come about that David, excuse me, Saul and Jonathan both die the same day in the same battle, so we don't have to deal with it. But they don't know that yet. And Saul is thinking, you know, when I turn this thing over, I'm turning it over to a man better than me, my own son, Jonathan. Well, that could be sticky if God comes to you and says, I know you're not Jonathan, but I want you to be king. Well, that's what happened. Look at chapter 20 of 1 Samuel Verse 30 and 31 again, Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said, Jonathan, man, you're the son of a reverse rebellious woman. I mean, it can't come from me. It must come from your mama. Must be her fault. Do I know No, you're choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives, of course, the son of Jesse is David. As long as David lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, now send and bring him to me. He must die. It's like, that could have been pretty sticky. Jonathan needs to kill David just as much as Saul needs to kill David. But it does, he doesn't. It changes. Look at chapter 18, verse, verse 1. It says, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan, catch that, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This is a heart thing. When Jonathan sees David, his heart changes. Man, I like this guy. I, no, I love this guy. This guy is a guy after God. He's a God, God blessed of God. God is with him. I like this guy. I love this guy. And the same thing goes the other way. When David sees Jonathan, he said, I like that. No, I love this guy. This is cool. And Jonathan, who is next in line for the throne, notice. Verse 2, Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. So they bring David into the king's house. Verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. What's he doing there? He's saying, we're adopting you into our family. And you, you got this shepherd's clothes. No, no, you're the, now a king's son. I can get king's clothing anywhere. I'm the king's son. Let me give you this. So he gives him all of this royal clothing, along with the military gear that goes with it, because of Jonathan's great admiration, love, and affection, or David's admiration, love, and affection for Jonathan. God knits their souls together. Instead of making them rivals, fighting one another, enemies, again, you see how God is stepping into this situation and just uh, blessing David. Chapter 19, verse 1, Now Saul told Jonathan his son and all the servants, Put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David. I mean, he's always letting him out. Dad wants to kill you. And not only does he... Does Jonathan say, Dad wants to kill you, David? 
But Jonathan stands up for David. And he goes to his dad and says, Dad, David's a man after God's own heart. Don't fight him. He's a blessing. We need to be around him because if we're around him, we're around God. So Jonathan is in between trying to teach his dad something. He's in between trying to always encourage David uh, and build him up. So that sticky situation has a man of God named Jonathan always in it to bless David. Verse Chapter 20, verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety, inasmuch as we have sworn to each other. Going back to that covenant, chapter 18. As much as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. And then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. So that difficult problem was again solved by God knitting two hearts together. Do you, do you ever wrestle with, with problems that way? Just thinking, you know, God, what I need here is for you to change my heart and for you to change the heart of the person that seems to be causing me so much problem. And God does that kind of thing. Um, God takes our situations and changes people's hearts, changes their directions to protect us. Uh, when I think about changing directions from protect us, um, I, I remember I was in a, a prayer group. All we did is, is met to pray, and it was it was a church-wide group. It was Wednesday nights, and uh, we just met to pray. And just as we got ready to pray, in walks one of the members of our church, a lady. She, she walks in, and she, she says, ah, 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 ah. I mean, she's just breathing. Her heart was racing. And so we all just kind of stopped. Wait, wait, wait. What's wrong? And she said, I was almost hit head on. I mean, I'm coming to prayer, and I'm coming down the road, and this other car got into my lane, and it just got closer and closer and closer, and they're coming straight at me, and I couldn't do anything about it. And it's just right at the last minute, they changed direction. Oh, I thought I was going to die. I said, well, we're thankful you didn't die, and you're here. Let's, let's make that part of our prayer. Let's just praise God right now for the way he protected you and directed that person into another land. I think she said the person was like falling asleep. You know, they're here, they're coming. Again, what wakes them up? What turns them? So we, we had our prayer time, and after that, one of the gentlemen in the prayer group, he said, can I say something? I said, sure. Before we leave, he said, he said this lady's prayer, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time thanking God for her protection, and I think that's good. He says, but I'm just convicted that I know a providence a thousand times better than that. Well, he's got my attention. Okay, what is it? What's a thousand times better than what we just thank God for? And he says, I drive that road every single day, seven days a week. And I've been driving that road 40 or 50 years. God has obviously spared me thousands and thousands of times because not once has a car hit me head on. And sometimes we don't think about that. That God is constantly directing what could be coming right at us away from us. That that's the kind of thing our God does. And we don't awake or stop to give Him credit and glory because 
He's the one doing this. Let me give you a couple more passages and I'll quit. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verse 11. Psalm 91, 11 says, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Remember that glorious truth. God will give his angels charge. Angels have angels are messengers from God. They're servants of God. They are given directions from God for us to guard you in all your ways. And then Psalm 34, verse 7. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. I think we need to know some of these and just because it will enliven our worship. I hope you're becoming less and less a grumbler or a complainer about anything. You wake up and you're just so thankful to God for the way He's protecting, the way He's been leading you through the night, the way He will lead you through the day. doesn't mean you won't have pain. It doesn't mean you won't have people that are against you. It doesn't mean you won't have powers that are against you. And it doesn't mean you won't have problems. But in the midst of all of that, if God is for you, who can be against you? Because he brings this whole host from heaven to encamp around you and to guard you and to protect your going out and your coming in day after day after day after day after day. That's our God. It's wonderful to have that kind of protection. Now, if you're in this room today and... You don't have that kind of protection? How do you get it? You get it by trusting Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Man, I need protection like that. I'm glad you see that. Then you need Christ. As kids are growing up, they need Christ. Because you're not going to be able to survive this world and the next without Christ's divine protection from all the people, powers, and problems that are coming. Let's pray together. Father, we've been singing for hundreds of years now, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. We've been singing, but sometimes we, we really don't just stop and praise you and adore you. And thank you for all the many ways we've not seen or heard, but you have protected us for all the provisions you've supplied so that we weren't harmed by people, places, problems, powers. Father, thank you. We give you praise. We give you adoration. We give you our love. We give you hearts of gratefulness. Forgive us. We turn from the sin of grumbling, complaining about those things and not seeing we're protected in those things. Help us, Lord, to to see the wonder, the beauty, the joy, the excitement of having a God who sends his angels to encamp around us, who is truly for us and refuses to let Satan touch us. Hallelujah. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Receive our gratitude. And for those who cry out, Lord, I want to receive you. We ask that you would hear that prayer. 
you would come into every heart and give them your divine care. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.